It's a blessing to be with you this afternoon on the eve of a brand new year. It's all good, amen, amen. Love the sound of fellowship among the saints. It's always a blessing. And so um, it's the end of one chapter and the beginning of another. Praise be to God. Um, I heard someone comment that there's been far less memes this year um, about how people are stepping into 2024. I think that um, we've, we've realized that actually it doesn't make no difference. <laughs> 23 was the year that was. And so there's a level at which we approach 24 with a, maybe a little bit more sober-mindedness, you know what I mean? But as we do approach a new year, um, we can sometimes find ourselves in a place where we are uh, almost shackled to the experiences of the past, whether it's the past year or beyond, and are in a place where we find it difficult to look to the year ahead because of the year that's passed, and so are somewhat paralyzed. On the other hand, we might find ourselves in a place where we're gassed on the year that's passed, and we're feeling extremely exuberant, we're feeling very accomplished, and are actually um, uh, over-expecting what will come in the year ahead. And so um, my, my desire today is to help myself as I help us think about the year ahead with a sense of God's perspective. Because someone once said, um, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And yet... To what extent do our plans really come to fruition? Some of us are tired of planning. <laughs> and so it's just like, what do we do with this? Um, and yet there are others who, again, and it, it might be the, the three or five percent. Um, I, don't, I, won't, I don't even know if I would say among us, maybe even, because I know we've, we have some very accomplished very fulfilled individuals who are um, the A-type, diligent, get-it-done kind of people and are able to say, actually, I make plans and I does this, you know? <laughs> These plans, are, are, are they're by hook or by crook, they're being fulfilled. And uh, in such cases, sometimes their, their plans are executed at the expense of people. Um, or, as you might say, their plans are executed just as they execute people in order to execute their plans because people just become dispensable. The plan is everything, and it has to be fulfilled. And so there's a few verses that we're going to look at today. We're going to be looking at the book of James. And we're going to look at a few verses that help us to consider how to con not just think about the year ahead, but how to consider our lives because our lives consist of a series of years. And in fact, 
You know, somebody once said that actually uh, our lives consist of the how many thousand minutes that we spend each day. And so, <laughs> talking about planning for, for a year, um, what we do with our time on a steady, regular basis is the sum total of our life. And so, yeah, as we, as we look, we will be encouraged, but also challenged. And so, um, we're going to look at James chapter 4, um, verses 13 to 17. Please do turn there with me, and um, I'll read, <clears throat> uh, and then pray. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. For whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Lord, we thank you so much for the fact that you are such a real God who has revealed yourself to us in real ways. And Lord, we thank you for the fact that as we sit here at the conclusion of this year and the uh, expectation and anticipation of the year ahead, we're able to do so and uh, with, with the vantage point of your view, you who sits on high, high above all, you who knows the end from the beginning. Hallelujah. And so Lord, as we come, we, we just acknowledge the privilege that actually as we consider the future, we don't do so blindly. We also don't do so presumptuously, but we're able to do so purposefully. And so help us, we ask, as we reflect on your word in Jesus' name. So, um, these verses, in a nutshell, will help us to plan for the future with plans that are purposefully submitted as opposed to proudfully presumptuous. These verses will instruct us in how we're able to make plans and yet do so in a way that is sober, is honest, is realistic. Now, this, this idea of futurity, futurity, I have to say it a few times, it's an unusual word. Futurity. 
Somebody said it so much easier than I did. I don't know why is it that it's so hard for me to say it. Is is something that um, people engage in 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 um, many ways, and it's basically just considering future events and what impact they will have on the world and on life. And so, for example, in many um, workplaces, the top-level teams will sit down and they'll do what's called a, a pest analysis. analysis. They, they will consider the future and they'll do what's called a pest analysis. And that's not just thinking about who's going to be a pest to us as an organization as a, or as a business, but they're looking at P, the political climate. What are the, the, the possibilities and implications of the political climate? Um, e, the economic climate. S, what's going on socially and T, um, te technologically. And so from that, they begin to try and um, devise plans that are responsive to the possibilities of future events. Yeah? A SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, is often a reflective analysis. But a pest analysis is a forward-looking, forward -looking. it's saying, what's the situation now? What's it likely to be in a year, three years, five years? There is a level at which we as believers are called to engage in futurity. And even though it might seem like it, or it might not seem like it, these verses that we've that I've read, are actually encouraging that, but from a healthy and sober perspective. That it would be purposeful and submitted as opposed to proudful and presumptuous. The Lord knows I was trying to find another P for submitted, because you know I'm a man of life, right? Alliteration. I, yeah, I just didn't have it in me. It evaded me. Man like Claude. What are you saying, Claude? He's a wordsmith. Might have been able to help me. Man like Pastor Rob would have been able to say, bro, I need a bar. <clears throat> so, what we see is a picture of people making plans with a sense of pride and presumption. James starts this section, come now. And he starts this section, come now, having said, painted a picture of, of, a, of a Christian community who were not living and functioning in a healthy way. <clears throat> they had toxic relationships and bad attitudes. We see at the beginning of chapter 4, James says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And so, some might suggest, oh, well, James is speaking maybe here to the, the world more generally. No, he's speaking to Christians. And... We understand that as Christians, we can find ourselves in that place where 
we are conflicted even within ourselves. Amen. I think there's only one witness in here today. Okay, it's all right. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I often find myself in a place where I have an inner conflict. And some days I sit down and I wonder and I say to myself, I'm, I, what is going on inside of my life? And then I think about Galatians 5. And it tells us very clearly, thankfully, praise be to God. It's not that you're unsaved. It's not that you're a false convert. But actually, there's a war going on inside. Yes. The flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh continually. There's no let up in this war. It's like this, the tragic situation in the Ukraine. Many had thought that maybe within a year, maybe even two. And yet it's a persistent issue that just doesn't seem to be coming to an end. And yet there is an end in sight for us as believers. We're able to rejoice at the fact that actually we will ultimately be freed from this war we will as we step into the presence of god shed the the the, the flesh and its impulses and we will be able to look forward to that point when as he is we also shall be like him wow i don't know about you you know that excites me you look tired isn't it but that's all right because the Lord's Spirit is among us. Amen. There's going to be a time when you don't have to worry about that inner conflict anymore. You know when you wrestle with those feelings because somebody has offended you and you want to tell them something. Uh, all right. <laughs> okay. Yes, touch your neighbor. <laughs> so don't tell them nothing. <laughs> That inner conflict. And you notice here in verse 1, it's, it's because of the passions within them. So it's these issues that are happening within their, what is being described as very toxic relationships, quarrels and fights. It wasn't a nice place to be in that community. And this is, Persistently, it comes from within. Hmm. In verse 2, he says, You desire and do not have. And so those, those inner desires were becoming dominant. They were not serving the, 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 the individual in their pursuit of God's purpose, but were ruling the individuals. And this is the thing, we have to be careful, especially those of us who are people of passion, that our passions do not rule us, but they serve us. <clears throat> verse 3 
we see that as we look at verse 7. The call, therefore, is to submit yourself. To submit yourself to God. You've got these conflicts going on. You've got these issues going on. And so the call is to not point the finger and get the person to apologize or to get the person to see your way or to assert your um, view and your convictions. Because so often, you know, we, we find ourselves in these situations and we're doing so as we're doing so in the name of the Lord. So often we can find ourselves in a place where we are in conflict, and in our mind it's a holy conflict. Amen. Mikey was talking about being out in Lewisham, and you know people complaining about our oh, religion. Religion just causes wars, and there's often people who think that they're on a holy cause, a just cause. To engage in conflict, feeling as though, you know what, implicitly, God ain't enough. I need to fight for him. But in verse 7, James says, submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In verse 10, he says, humble yourself before the Lord. And he will exalt you. And so it's with that heart and that posture that we come to these verses. It's with that um, instruction, that admonition, that urge. This is how we ought to be posturing ourselves before the Lord. And likewise, this ought to come into the posture of our planning. <clears throat> and so when he says, come now, it's in light of all that. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Wow. So many presumptions. Now, when you look at these verses, it can almost seem as though you ought not to plan at all. You should just say, um, what's the phrase? Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. No. <laughs> you know? Um, uh, what's, the, what's, the, what's, the, what's the other phrase? Um, C'est la vie. Or in modern vernacular, whatever. <laughs> but that's not what we're being called to do. Fundamentally, we see here um, four things that are clear. <clears throat> One, those who are planning in this picture leave God out of the picture. And so from that initial statement, we see clearly that there is a, a sense of 
autonomy, there is a sense of self-sufficiency and a sense of desire and intention which is consistent with what we saw before. It's self-seeking. It's selfish. We will go into such and such a town, will you? Suppose there's a diversion. Suppose the roads are closed. Suppose you just, you drop down in the streets. And then you're going to trade. And furthermore, not only are you going to trade, but you're going to bank. Hmm. For whose purposes, for whose ends? So there's a sense of leaving God out. And... It's interesting because it's speaking to Christians. I think it's helpful to be reminded of that because actually, as Christians, we can often find ourselves in a place of being functional atheists. We believe God in principle, but we leave him out in practice. And so, our principles, our convictions say, huh, okay, I believe in the Lord. Yes, Jesus is real. He's Lord of my life. But our behavior and our actions say we're just another moral individual. You see, what we don't see expressed in these verses is faith. What we don't see expressed in these verses is humility. And often we find ourselves in that place as Christians because we're guilty of compartmentalization. And it's almost as if Jesus is for Sundays. And and maybe for those prayer times when I'm in real need and and I just feel like this is a this is a big issue and I need to really take this before God. And so Jesus is for those times, but when it comes to my work, when it comes to my business, when it comes to my children, when it comes to, well then, actually, that's down to me. And and my wisdom, and my learning, and my planning, and my ingenuity, and my strength, and my resources. So James is like, no, 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 no. I mean, fundamentally, you're presuming on longevity and success, James is um, saying. You're presuming that you have complete control. Fundamentally, you are exhorting yourself to the place of God. I mean, he says in verse 16... Your boasting is evil. That sounds like strong terms. Your boasting is evil. What I mean, bro, I mean, I'm just making some plans for next year. Like, <laughs> is, it, is it that deep? But when we make them kind of plans, fundamentally, we, we are putting ourselves in the place of God. Amen. God, I've got this. I'm under control. I've got it all under control. I know what I need and how I need to get there. 
And so fundamentally, what are we doing? We're, as, as the scholar Don Carson would say, we are de-godding God. You see, by definition, God is sovereign and has authority over all things. Every aspect of my life at all times, not just a portion or a piece when I feel like it or I need him. And so the presumption in their planning is actually such that it is <clears throat> proud, proudful, filled with pride. I mean, you could look at their, their, their mission statement. We're going to go into the town. Listen, we're going to go into the town and we're going to spend a year there. And once we spend that year there, we're going to trade and we're going to make money. And then we're going to move on to the next town. Maybe that was the, the next sentence that never, like, James just interjected quick. Like. <laughs> and that would just sound like normal today. It's like, what is the plan if it's not smart, S-M-A-R-T, specific, measurable, achievable, real, real, um, uh, realistic, and time-bound? And so it sounds very reasonable. But James says it's boastful. And that boasting is evil. Because we fail to recognize God as being God. What if God don't want me to go to that town? You know, I grew up in church. There's probably no secrets there. And one of the things growing up in church, I would hear about the way in which the Lord would you know, speak to sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so. And over the years, I, he I heard these um, uh, testimonies. And they would testify of how the Lord would say, you know, I want you to go and, uh, I, you know, I'm, maybe I want you to go to this particular um, part of the world and be a missionary. I spent a portion of my life um, in actually in Ryland Chapel in Peckham Baptist Church. And I got... I think Mikey knows it well. And I got some rich Christian experience there, and, and I would hear testimonies. People would come as missionaries, and yes, I remember the moment when I was there, and I was praying, and I was crying out to the Lord, and he, he, I just knew that he just wanted me to go to this place and be a missionary, but I didn't want to go. And I just built up this impression in my mind that if God starts speaking to you about doing something, then it's generally something you don't want to do. And you're going to have to wrestle, and he's going to have to fight with you. And, he's, and it's like every moment is a Jonah moment. You know what I mean? And so, in fact, you know what? I'm going to make plans, but I'm not even going to talk about it. I just, maybe he won't realize. <laughs> Start distress the program. Disrupt the project. I don't want you to go there. I want you to go here. Mm-mm. <laughs> Listen, the best place to be is in the will of God. Now, I'm going to speak in a, in a little bit about our journey as a ministry and the way in which God has worked over the years. It's absolutely... The Lord is so good. Because I can tell you, we're talking 30 years ago. 
things that are being outworked now that have been 30 years in the making. Experiences that we've had along the way and the journey. Uh, we soon come, we soon come. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's just clarify where, where the problems are and then we could talk about how, we, how we're going to go forward. Because God is good. And if you shouldn't fear submitting your plans to God thinking that he's going to send you somewhere you don't want to go and have you speak to people you don't want to be with. The reality is this. The Lord conforms our hearts to his will. And that's the fundamental purpose of prayer. The fundamental purpose of prayer isn't that when we pray, we get God to do what we want. But no, we are offering ourselves to God to shape us to his will. And so as we express our requests, we do so with this sense of, if it be your will. This is what James says in verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord's will, we live and do this or that. And that isn't... <clears throat> Having to verbally say, um, with the expression of every intent, if the Lord wills at the end. That can be often a helpful reminder for us. You know what, next week I'm going to go and see Sister So-and-So if the Lord wills. That's, that can be helpful, and that can be healthy, because it, it keeps us in that frame of, sense of submission and dependence on the Lord that recognition that we don't we're not in control of the future God is I remember this uh, wow I, we were out in Lewisham and I said I don't do this enough some of my, my, my most wonderful memories in ministry are street preaching I love street preaching Brav, am I lying? Come on. Pastor Rob can testify. Oh, man. Bro. And street preaching in particular. But, bro, you... There was, there was this line that... There's a, few, there's a few lines that Pastor Rob has dropped right in life that live with me, that the Lord has helped you use to shape me and my outlook as an individual, Amen. this brother's an inspiration to me. My man said one time, listen, we may not know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. Come on. Man's looking around like it wasn't him. It was you, bruv. You're the first person I ever hear say that. We may not know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. Regardless of what it brings, God holds it. He's in control. And so, as we come before the Lord, we come with a sense of submission and humility. Because our life is a mist. It's a vapor. And... Think about mist, vapor. 
It is that which exists when the conditions are right for it, but it's only there for a moment. As soon as those conditions change, it disappears. Back in the day, they used to have fog in London. They would call it um, pea soup. It was so thick, they say you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. Not even smog. We hadn't got to the era of smog yet. We reached smog now, but that was pre-industrialization. And so you didn't have central heating and electric lighting and vehicles and so on. And so you had warm air meeting the cold surface of the ground and creating mist. The conditions were there. And once the conditions changed, it disappeared. Such is the nature of our life. God set up all of the conditions for us to come into this world, into being, into existence. And there's a point in which the conditions will change. That which sustains us will be removed and we will leave this world. That's just 10 out of 10 people die. Yeah? So, <clears throat> it doesn't really serve us to be here just counting the days. But we should be seeking to make the days count. You know them, like when you're at work and you're just watching the clock. And it's like, oh man, when is it lunchtime? <laughs> you probably sit down in the sermons thinking, oh man, when is it lunchtime? <laughs> when are we going to finish? I want to get a couple sandwiches and <laughs> get to some real fellowship. You know? And then you, you have lunch at work and then you kind of get back behind the desk if you're behind the desk or whatever and then you're watching the clock and you're like, oh, when is it going to be appropriate for me, in it to, to have a quick... Isn't it? I, need, I need to take a break, but I've just sat down from lunch. <laughs> and so you go and you make a cup of coffee, cup of tea or whatever, have a little chat out by the, by the water cooler and then you go back to your desk and then you're watching the clock. And there are just those days when it just feels like, bro, like the clock is going backwards. You're just like, why is this day taking so long? And you're all thinking about flexi time. <laughs> If I finish half hour early, which day am I gonna come in half hour, half hour earlier to just make up the? Like you know what I mean? And you just listen. And we're out here just existing, just drifting with circumstance. But God has called us to purpose, to live on purpose, and that purpose is such that it is greater than ourselves. You know, so many people, they live for money and feel like that's the purpose of our existence. Um, I saw this random quote from a random individual. Now, there's probably only one or two people in here that would maybe even potentially know what this person is associated with. 
This is a, a gentleman called Robert Horton. And he's um, passed away now. He died at the age of 91. Uh, and he's an actor and a singer um, from, from yesteryear, from a previous generation. This, this, this gentleman was a, a star in Wagon Train. Western. Uh, some of us are old enough to know the reruns. Maybe one or two might even be old enough to know the original release. <laughs> I don't look at it in anyone's direction. <laughs> but Wagon Train. But he, he, had a, he had a few key feature parts in Murder, She Wrote. And I know everybody knows Murder, She Wrote because we all see the reruns constantly. <laughs> That's like... TV staple, Jessica, what's her name, Jessica Fletcher, uh, Angela Lansbury. But look at this quote, I thought it was so well said in so few words. Man said, the greatest lesson I have learned in life is that those who set their heart on money are both equally disappointed, whether they get it or not. I was like... That's a quotable. And my man died with a modest uh, net worth, one and a half million. By today's standards, that's, you couldn't even, you could just about buy a house. You know, like a decent house. Garden, you might, might want to, like, for a one and a half million. So he had, he had, he had but he, he, was, he was consistently in money. So it's not like he was living a broke life. Um, but obviously, he's a man who's probably experienced both sides of the equation. But the, the truth remains, the principle is true. Money don't make you better. Money don't satisfy. Money don't fulfill. We look at King Solomon. In his era, what was it? It said like, um, silver was like rockstone. Just common. And yet, he had how much hundreds of concubines, how much wives, and insatiable appetite. And so, living for money isn't the purpose that we're called to. So, as we're planning, <clears throat> let us consider the Lord's will. Because if we plan on the Lord's will, we can't go wrong. And so there are three things that we ought to do. Pray for God's will to be done. First of all, it starts with prayer. And prayer, fundamentally, is an expression of faith. And so as we're praying, we are expressing faith in the Lord God. And so, if we were to look back at the, the, the mission statement of that, that, that James is addressing, there would be an acknowledgement, Lord, according to your will, this is what we're purposing to do. Having done that and, be, and doing that with a continued sense of 
um, reliance upon God in all that we do. And this isn't rocket science. You'll see this. But there are some very practical implications. And this is where a lot of people, they miss the profoundness of these principles because they seem so simple. As you've prayed for God's will to be done, then endeavor to do God's will. Endeavor to do God's will. Walk in his word. God's will is his word. God's word is his will. God's word is an expression and extension of himself. Hence, the word became flesh. Because the word was God. So let's walk in his word. And if you're thinking, okay, you know, there's 66 books, like 18,000 chapters or something like that. Where, like, where do I start? Where do I... Well, there's two mandates that we've been given and a new covenant command. First and foremost... God gave the creation mandate. Genesis 1, 28. Having made man in his image and likeness, he said this. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and of the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is that creation commission, creation mandate. We heard of the Great Commission and we think about Matthew and we'll get there in a minute, but fundamentally, we as individuals made in God's image were made to be fruitful and to See his image replicated. Now through salvation, that takes on a deeper meaning. And so this doesn't say that, well, if you're a childless individual, then you failed in the sight of God and he will judge you for that. That's not what it's saying. Verse 27 says, which I don't have on the screen, that God made us in his image. And so the multiplication isn't minimes that look like us. It's minimes that look like God. And that can be fulfilled by someone who is single and childless, just as much as it may not be fulfilled by a couple with 10 kids. Ah, so I like music, innit? I like music, and <laughs> I came across this artist. If I actually, I came across this new group. I'm not even going to mention the name because I don't want it to seem like I'm I'm being bad mind towards the particular individual, each to their own, and it's not that big a deal. But. There's this new group, and I was like, oh, yeah, they, they seem like some, you know, young guys. They've got, they got skills. They've they got vocals. They're, they're out here. And I thought, there's just something kind of familiar. And, and 
there was something in the group's name that caused me to think, hmm, I wonder if they're related to the, this, these other artists from yesteryear. <laughs> Claude's nodded. So anyway, lo and behold, these, they, are, they are the sons of a very prominent artist. Yeah, the sons of a promise, prominent artist. I'm going to try and blur the lines a little bit just because I'm really not trying to be bad, man. But I, I, was, I found it quite humorous. And I was, I was quite um, taken back when I found out that they were all brothers. And when I looked into it further, they all have the exact same name as their dad. So it is... So Pops is senior, and then you have the second, the third, the fourth, and the fifth, because there's four of them. And they all have the same name as Pops. I was like, someone's trying to protect their legacy right here. <laughs> and there's unmistakable similarities in the way that they sound and so on. And so there is a legacy to uphold, because this artist was A-list, top of the top draw. You know what I'm saying? But I just felt like, I don't know, for me, that, that, that's, that kind of thing has never made sense to me, personally. But I don't come from their world, so I don't know. And people, you know, like I say, it's not a bigger deal. But... Is this not what God wants to see? Those who bear his name. Who look like him. Who sound like him. Who walk like him. Who sing like him. Who, you get what I'm saying? Like if there's anyone who's worthy. Now this artist was a big artist. And, and highly, not just somebody who was successful but they were highly respected for their craft as a singer. So there was something there to, to pass on. But what more the Lord God himself, divine in his perfections. And so as we as image bearers are, are sent out with the, the creation commission that means that we explore our environment and we seek to develop and to um, distribute and to work in such ways that brings glory to our creator and actually we see that this is what happens in life this is why we're in here and have, and have gone from a pre-industrial to the information age and then some. Why I can use my iPad to control the, the words on this screen with, and there's no wires, etc., uh, etc. Et because God has sown this into the hearts of every individual that he has made, whether we are in right relationship with him or not. And that also gives context to your work. You may be working in the field and you're feeling like, oh, how is this contributing to the kingdom? 
And it may not be directly contributing to the kingdom, but it is fulfilling the creation mandate. Go hard in your job. Do it with integrity. Do it with compassion. Do it righteously. Endeavor to be effective. Be successful. All to the glory of God. Don't shackle yourself in thinking that in order to serve God, it has to look like church ministry. Ephesians 4 tells us that the purpose of the church is to equip the saints for works of service. To equip the saints. And so that isn't just to equip the saints to spend more time in church, but it's to go out into the world and be salt and light effectively. Creation mandate. And yet, there's also the salvation mandate. Because we can only truly multiply image bearers when we help people to recognize that the image that they bear of God is distorted and corrupted because of the fall, because of sin. And yet Jesus came as the express image, Hebrews 1 tells us, of God. To cause us to be born again and renewed in such a way that we could then more faithfully represent the image of God. When Jesus said, you must be born again, he was emphatic. I had a conversation yesterday and I was talking to a guy and... um, quite quickly recognized that he's a Hebrew Israelite. And so, his thing was, cut a long story short, there was this sense of legalism in his outlook. Fundamentally, God, and this was after a long conversation, oppressed him. God sent Christ to die for the 12 tribes. The 12 tribes, the true 12 tribes, are black people. And his, the Lord's salvation only has effect for them. And, but that was like an afterthought because, you know, he was telling me, you must keep the law, you must keep the law, you must keep the law. And I'm like, so how do you atone for sin? Because at the end of the day, when we think about the law, the law is in the context of the sacrificial system. When laws were broken, which we all do, there has to be a means by which they're atoned. So, bro, are you a butcher? I said, I know your man must eat curry mutton and whatnot, but I don't think that that's the... And he thought about it. And so he, 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 that was his, his, his theory after thinking about it. So it's not even like Jesus and his atonement was the first thing at the front of his mind. His thing is you must keep the law. And that's only if you're even going to be eligible to be considered. So I said to him, all right, you believe the, the Old and the New Testament. Then he went off on a tangent. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's bring it back. The words of Jesus, are they true? He said, every word is true. So what did he mean when he said, you must be born again? And again, he stopped and he fought. And then another long conversation ensued. But uh, another 
line from Pastor Rob. The heart of the human problem is the problem with the human heart. Listen. I don't know, I'm a simple guy. When things are put succinctly with such clarity, it sweeps my heart. And it's very helpful. And it sounds good as well. The heart of the human problem is the problem with the human heart. And that's why the salvation mandate exists. The Great Commission exists. Because we need to be changed, transformed, renewed through Christ to be who God intended us to be. And let me just make it absolutely clear. Especially for some of our young people grow up in church. I grew up in church. I recognized there was a point in time when I had to take ownership of the fact that I needed to be born again. I had to wrestle with that. Growing up in church and just kind of absorbing, you know, uh, the, the things of God just by being present was not sufficient to save me. But I needed to be changed. I needed to be made right with God because I knew my own heart and it was not right. <clears throat> and so such is the same for every individual and until that happens, you can have the greatest success in life and still fail. You can have the greatest success in life and still flop where it matters most. Tower of Babel. What happened? The people came together and... Where is it? Genesis 11... And this was God's response. The people are unified. They're moving as one people. And they have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. There is ability. There is um, capability when people come together to achieve things. But the success of the world is hollow. Only what you do for and in Christ will last in an eternal sense. And so this is why the Lord calls us to seek first the kingdom of God. In our planning, we should be purposefully seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the other things of life will be added. The things that we need, the things... Seek first the kingdom of God. Go out and love the Lord with all your heart. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's the will of God. And so, if your plans put that in jeopardy, if your plans are such that they are so self-centered and so selfish that they're liable to be at the expense of others, not with the partnership and collaboration of others, that's fine. 
but where you're using and abusing others in order to achieve your goal, then you need to rethink that plan. Now, as you do that, in a general sense, and we say, we say this all the time, as you do that in a general sense, in terms of God's general will, God will reveal his specific will to you. You might be thinking, Lord, what do you really want me to do with my life? What is it that I'm supposed to achieve in this world? What is my purpose? And you know what? That becomes clear as you begin to set about the general will. When God called Abraham, he said, go to the place that I will show you. He didn't give him the full details all at once. Go to the place that I will show you. Because when the Lord leads us, he leads us step by step. Ah, let me come back to this verse in Philippians. There's a quote from St. Augustine. I thought that this was, sorry, it's so small. God will not permit people to have detailed knowledge of their future. If we knew our success, we would be careless. If we knew our suffering, we would be senseless with worry, is the implication. So it's actually a, a, a gift. It is God in his gracious goodness that he doesn't give us all of the details. And so, as we trust in the Lord and do his general will, we will notice that God is at work in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God gives you desires, capabilities, uh, aspirations. He gives you experiences. And as you go about doing his general will, not only do you learn more of God... And what he wants for you, you learn more about yourself. Amen. Who you are and who he's made you to be. And often we, we, we come to understand what is for us by discerning what's not. And, and eliminating that as a process of elimination. And we become more narrowly focused. And that looks like different things for different people because we're all parts members of one body, each contributing different things. Our role as, as leaders shouldn't be to try and make you like us. I'm not trying to make you rappers or even like hip-hop. I don't care about that. That might be my experience. <laughs> looking like, oh, you know, no, I don't know, no, no, no. I love music, and, and I love hip-hop, and et cetera, et cetera, but that's not what I'm going to expect of you. You know, I find it quite, um, I guess, almost embarrassing. You know, sometimes you meet people, and they kind of know about musical past and so on, and like, in times past, people were like, oh, it's, you know, your church, a hip-hop church. And, you know, I noticed that certain times people begin to kind of interact with me differently like yo bro <laughs> you know what I mean you, you, bro 
And it's like, that's not necessary, it's all right. Just, just be yourself. You don't have to try and be like what you ex think I expect of you. It's cool, I'm, I'm, I'm good with who I am. You know what I mean? You can just be who you are. You don't have to try and be all... You know what I mean? Clearly it's not you. And so it's not about cloning and, you know, there is always a danger in church life and we see this in churches when, you know, whether it's in small ways or in big ways, people become quite like their leadership. And one of the things I've really appreciated is that we've got a diverse leadership who have always been distinct. You know what I mean? Pastor P, if you guys remember Pastor P from back in the day, he's not like me. <laughs> and actually, even as much as I've got much in common with Pastor Rob, Pastor Rob's not like me either. You know what I mean? And then you look at our leadership, and a praise be to God because it nurtures an environment where people are set free to be who God has made you to be. important so recognizing that God is at work in you to will and work for his own good pleasure and so therefore you work out your salvation work it out work out this is verse 12 work out your own salvation with fear and trembling I'm at the hour now, isn't it? Yeah. Lord of mercy. Start, start, we'll start watching the clock again, yeah? All right. Let me bring it home. So, no, no, I'm going to land the plane. I'm going to land the plane. It's not going to be an emergency landing, though. Just, just letting you know. <laughs> Listen. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. This verse is a verse that is really helpful to us. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord. But the things that are revealed belong to us. There are things that we don't know about the future. We don't even know about our own lives. You know what? They're in the hands of God. There's certain things about our past, not even just our future. Certain things about our past that we don't even know. Some of us doing DNA tests and getting revelations like, what? Because we don't know our, our, our forebears, even our more immediate forebears, some of us. But it's okay, it's in the hands of God. Amen. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Trust Him. But the things that are revealed belong to us. And to, we can run with what He's given us, we can work with it, we can plan according to it. Because that's what the intent is. Belong to us and to our children forever. Why? That we may do all the words of this law. That we may pursue his purpose in, in, in being faithful to him. You know, uh, in 1994, uh, me and Pastor Rob started doing music ministry. And... Yeah, that was when we had our first event. Uh, different name back then, whatever. <clears throat> but as we were doing that, 
that was born from a place of just desiring to reach our community. And we had other like, ideas, if you like, other aspirations. At one point, we were going to start a, a tape ministry because we were back in the days of VHS tapes and, and cassettes. And that's how ministry was getting circulated. You know, and you, you would get tapes sent. Somebody would come over from the US and be like, oh, have you heard this preacher? Listen, watch this tape. And you, you put it in your player and you're like, Lord of mercy, different format. And so you're just, but you're still trying to make out because this preacher was pre bringing word. And so we was like, we'll start a tape ministry and we'll get tapes and we'll convert them to UK format and make them available and get the word out in that way. Practical. And then it was because we got invited to participate in an outreach in a pub in Peckham. This pub was a notorious pub. It was, I don't, even, I don't even know if it's still there. The Red Bull pub, it was right next to the bus garage. Is it still there? That was gangster's paradise, literally. It was literally like, I would hear stories of man sitting down in the pub and his coat would fall open and he's got a sawn of shotgun just strapped in the inside of his coat and all this kind of business. <laughs> Bro, it was oh my, them days, definitely. But it was real. And so we got invited to do an outreach, and, we, and the, the, the landlord was like, you can come and you know, give us some of that gospel inspiration, but just no preaching and banging on. So we basically had to go in there and do something different. And so there's going to be singing and some spoken word and so on and so forth. And then Pastor Rob got up and he, and he, he was like, yeah, I got, I got some, I got little inspiration, you know, I feel like the Lord's just been giving me some lyrics. You know that Rob never used to rap before. He used to be a DJ. In fact, if I, I, I know he won't mind me mentioning. Before, when Rob, when Rob got saved, right, he was in, he was one of the founding members of Rampage. Now, if you know anything about Sound System, Carnival, like they got show on Radio 1 and so on and so forth, they're now foundation. They're their biggest. Like their stage is the biggest stage at Notting Hill Carnival every year, and all of the big name artists come over and fly over and land on their stage and perform at Carnival. That's and they have their own show, weekly show, and they, the club nights and everything else. They're they're like you, you think of Ministry of Sound and it's Name Brown and Rampage. That's a, that's the levels that they're on. And Rob sold all his records and turned his back on that when he came to Christ with no expectation of getting involved in music again. Fast forward, long story short. Rob gets up and raps. We had to rewind the tape. They was pulling the, the regulars in the pub was like banging the table. No, 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 come again, come again. And it's a tape deck. And you know, it's one, of them, and it's one of them situations where you don't know, like, you, where, where did it start? Where did it stop? There weren't no skipping tracks, like, on CDs. And so we had to take about 10 minutes to find the beginning of the beat again. And so you could have you could, you could checked only one pull-up. But it would have been at least three wheel-ups. Trust me. And it was because that this was something that the Lord would use to really get people's attention. So we got into music ministry and we were seeing people being impacted. Doors were open 
And we were really very much focused on the street ministry, prison ministry, school ministry. That was the areas that we were in. We weren't really kind of doing what would have been, quote unquote, the gospel circuit and so on. Um, very rarely did we kind of do those types of events. Um, and that wasn't because we were trying to be elitist or anything like that. We just had purpose in mind. Our purpose wasn't to kind of get known, you know, be, an, be artists, have a record deal. I mean, things, you think in 30 years ago, it wasn't like it is now. You can just go online, buy some equipment, make your own music, record yourself, put it up on your own platform and go viral. And, and it's happening regularly these days. It was a very different world. But our intention wasn't to try and get noticed, get signed or anything like that. Oh. Yeah, all right. All right, let me, let me, let's, let me cut a very long story short. If, this, is, this is a film, it's a movie. I can't even lie, when I think about it, and the goodness of God. So we were doing that, and uh, one of the first things that happened was we got connected with um, one of the foremost Christian rap groups from the US, the Cross Movement. They were from the East Coast. They were one of the, the forerunners of East Coast Christian hip-hop. Now, it's not that there was beef between East and West in Christian hip-hop like there was in the world, and that actually came a bit later. It wasn't like that. There was just an underrepresentation because everything was from California. There wasn't really much from New York. But our particular liking of music was the New York style. So when these guys came out, we were blown away. And we only learned of them through doing ministry. We only got connected with them because we were doing ministry, not because we were trying to get on the internet or get out there and, and you know, send CDs around the world and get known. We were doing ministry, and a brother from um, a Calvary Chapel in New Jersey, he said, you know, I've got these guys that are from Philly, and they, we've been doing ministry, and they're going to come over to the UK, and would you help me organize a tour for them, and da 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 So we did, got connected, went out there. We became the first... Um, Christian rappers to record in the US, um, which again, that was something I, I came to became aware of later. There were other Christian rappers before us, and good ones. One of my in personal inspirations was a brother, brother called Gifted. Gifted, gifted, where have you been? He used to rap with a brother called Watchman who would do a bashment style. Watchman's still about doing his thing. And so we're not like claiming to be the first, in that sense, UK Christian rappers, but we were the first to record in the States. And it was somebody that mentioned that and the significance of it because hip-hop came from the States. And so it felt like to go to the home of hip-hop, the birthplace of hip-hop, and be accepted to the point where you're going to feature on the, one of the most prominent groups of the, of the day, that was you know, regarded as something. But again, it didn't even really occur to us because we just felt like these brothers are like-minded and we're sharing in this sense of gospel ministry. And yet, it didn't stop there because as we were going out and doing ministry and doing recording here and there, bits and pieces, we were challenged. Look, you, the Lord is really using you. Um, you guys should start a church. And we had kind of 
been dreaming, like, what would it look like? Not to start a church, because that was the furthest thing from our mind, but to have a ministry that would be effective in evangelism and would affect communities and be able to go into schools and go into prisons and create content and put it out there. And, da, 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 da. and we had this, and disciple people through the music and through um, creating, like, maybe Bible study guides and so on and so forth. And the Lord worked in such a way that everything, I can't even, um, Tolu, you remember um, Brewster's Millions? I can't, I don't have time. I'm sorry, I don't have time. We'll come back to this. We'll do a part two. Because even as a church, after the church has started, the Lord was still working. There was a point at which we sat down and we said, all right, often money is a, is a limitation to ministry, right? If we had unlimited resource, what would we do with it in the name of the Lord? And all of the community groups were sitting down and answering the question and going through. If you had 30 million pounds, the Lord just put it on the table. What would you do with it for the, for, the, for the glory of God? All different things were coming up and we kind of consolidated it. And then we would have a joint community group. And then when we all came together, we kind of consolidated all of our things. And there were just a few key things. Um, one of which was have a school. Now, again, we didn't just say, okay, so we're now going to make a five-year plan and we're going to go out and we're going to start a school. But we just committed it to the Lord. Commit your way unto the Lord, trust in him also, and he will bring it to pass. It wasn't for selfish motivation. It was for his glory and the fervorance of his kingdom. And then we meet TLG. We meet LCM. We get this building. And TLG say, we will help you set up a school. Now we're running our own school, no TLG in the picture. But the Lord has enabled us to see that vision fulfilled. You don't understand. You don't understand. You don't understand. I'm trying to encourage you. You know, someone said, don't overestimate what can be achieved in a year. Sometimes people, and to be honest, things have changed a lot. There's actually so much that can be achieved, so much more that can be achieved in a year. Don't overestimate what can be achieved in a year, but never underestimate what can be achieved in five years. That was Duncan Forbes. You guys remember that? UMP. It's true talk. God does great things. We are his people and it delights him to lead us in his purpose. When we get our eyes off ourselves and focused on him, and not trying to be something that we're not, but in the lane, if it's a finance is your thing, finance is your thing. And the Lord will not only use you in the finance world, but he will use you to finance his work. That's the, that's the story of Chuck Smith and Calvary Chapel. Anyway, so, the Lord invites us, challenges us to plan purposefully, in ways that are submitted to him. And those plans often are best not too detailed. Because often in our detail, we can just write the Lord out of the picture. The Lord, it can make it difficult for the Lord to redirect us in the specifics. But in view of this, James then says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now that's a, 
what they call a paradigmatic principle. That's an overarching principle that is true throughout the, the, the history of Scripture, the revelation of God. But in this specific instance, knowing that we are called to plan purposefully, to seek first the kingdom, to, to seek to see God's image multiplied in others, in ourselves and in others, to see his word preached and shared, and to support that in whichever way we may contribute. What are your priorities for 2024? What are the things that are now important for you in 2024? For whoever knows to do, we are accountable for what we know. We're accountable for what we learn. It's like, now you know better, do better. That's what he's saying. And so may the Lord help us. This is true whatever age you are. I remember as a, as a, as a child, in my time of prayer, I used to love reading the stories of the Old Testament, David and Solomon and so on. And I would always pray and ask God, please, Lord, give me wisdom. I was captivated by that story of Solomon and the two mums and the baby. And the way he just had such a practical wisdom response. And I would say, Lord, please, please give me wisdom. And I feel grateful that God, even when I didn't know what I was asking for, has helped me in that regard. God answers prayer. But God's will and God's when is two different things. All right, you know what? Lord, help us because, hallelujah, you are good. I'm going to invite the ladies to come and, and help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, for you are good. And your mercy endures forever as we sung earlier. And all that you have for us, all that you want for us is good. And Lord, I thank you for the fact that you even conform our desires to your will. So that we're not, we're not fighting with you and you're not fighting with us. We don't have to be like that. Sometimes there are those situations where we're stubborn like Jonah. And you need to bring us down a peg or two and remind us of your sovereign, sovereignty. And yet, Lord, we thank you that as those who have submitted our lives to you, given our hearts to you, we have done so recognizing that you are God and you know what's best. And so as we look to this year, Lord, we look to you. Help us to fulfill your general will. Lead us in your specific will, Lord, we pray. That you would be glorified in and through our lives in real ways. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.